you know, the other best advice I ever got, and I really keep this to heart. And I think it's fortunately been great to kind of keep this during this year when it's just like everything every Mm day. You just can't be nostalgic. Like you just have to keep going. Like nostalgia is what will kill you. Um, If you long for a time or a period that was... Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them, aka a purpose, and all we have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under-the-radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they first discovered their passion, how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. Today's episode is with Diana Cohen. Diana is a master marketer and the founder of Crown Affair, a modern beauty brand on a mission to make hair care an everyday ritual. She launched less than a year ago and I have been seeing her products literally everywhere. I'm so impressed by that launch. I just feel like they killed it in every way. Before starting Crown Affair, she had an extremely impressive career in marketing and partnerships. She's originally from Florida, but Diana ended up making her way to New York and started her career in 2012, working in-house at some of the most covetable companies, including Into the Loss, Spring, Jimmy Choo, and Away. She eventually launched her first business, Levitate, a brand strategy and marketing consulting company where she worked with some of the top direct-to-consumer brands, including Harry's and Flamingo, Outdoor Voices, Yumi, Buck Mason, The Wing, and so many others. And after running her agency for two years, she decided that she was ready to transition from building other people's brands to finally launching her own. And she launched Crown Affair, a direct-to-consumer hair care brand with the goal of helping people feel their best with their natural hair. And they currently offer five products, the brush, the comb, towel, oil, and they recently launched a hair mask. And they've already been featured on Allure, Forbes, Vogue, The Cut, and so many others. On today's episode, we talk about Diana's many career transitions how she fell into starting a consulting agency and at what point she realized she was ready to build her own brand and fold the agency, why a business coach was extremely valuable in helping her identify her active ingredient, the importance of maintaining relationships with past coworkers, she walks us through the whole process of fundraising and why rituals are so important in setting the tone for our lives. So with that, let's get into this week's episode with Diana Cohen. All right. So thank you so much for being on Active Ingredient. I feel like a lot of people are excited to hear from you. And I'm personally so excited to hear from you from going from working in-house to having a consulting agency to launching a brand. There's so many different things that I want to talk to you about, but I always start the podcast asking, what were you like as a kid that you remember? And are there any qualities from your childlike self that you think are translated in what you do today? Yes. I was a total tomboy when I was a kid. I was like the kid who was playing sports, kind of just lived in shorts and t-shirts, um, was best friends with all of my neighborhood friends. And I don't know. I, I was definitely, I was like a curious child. I was totally a rebel. I'm still totally a rebel. I like was never good with following rules, um, which I think is in every single entrepreneur. 100%. So yeah, that was, that was my childhood. I'm very grateful for it. And then I came to New York and was like, I don't know. I thought I was cool in Florida. And then I came to New York and was like, I'm not cool. And my whole world changed. But yeah. So what did you think that you wanted to be? Like, what did you have any like inkling that you wanted to work in kind of like a startup environment? Like what, what did you think that your path was going to be when you were going to college? So there was a very clear inflection point in my life between seventh and eighth grade where I like discovered fashion and art. I think it was, I took a summer school course to kind of like get ahead. It was a thing in my middle to high school years. Uh, that was an art history class and that changed my life. Like I was like, oh my gosh, art. like I just, it, it opened up my whole life. And that was when I started to really lean into my more creative self and my less like sporty self. Like you grew up thinking you're going to like go to college and play lacrosse. And then all of a sudden it was just like laser focus NYU. And 
Um, there's actually an Instagram account that just launched because obviously there's a ton happening in the fashion industry right now and so many incredible articles. And um, there's been a lot of conversation around Marc Jacobs. He's been very vocal about this moment, having such a American legacy over the last few decades. And um, there's an Instagram account that they just launched called Heaven and it's like home things, but they have all of his old campaigns from like 04, 05, 06. And they're like, kind of grungy, but New York. And I'm just like, this is what I like. This is like my fuel. Like, this is what I loved about this. And, um, yeah, I thought I would come to college and work for Anna Wintour. Like everyone does when they see the devil wears Prada. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but it's interesting. I just started this group. I don't know if you've heard of the artist's way. It's like, uh, is it a book? It's a book. It's like yeah. a it's like a well known book. It's a twelve yeah, week yeah. program, and the first week, which I'm on right now, I just started a, a group of ten of us are doing it together every week, and um, it's like what one of the exercises is like if you had a dream job, what would it be, or like what would what have you always dreamed to do? And I realized through this that like I've always wanted to be a children's book author, and when I was young, I was if you asked me in first grade what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be, I would have said Shel Silverstein or Dr. Seuss. So um, I think that like fashion, art, and the allure of that entire universe aside, I think at the end of the day, I've always just loved like that storytelling kind of clever, fun piece of it. Um, So yeah, I would love to be a children's book author one day, but I think that's like a second season of life. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. I feel like kind of, I mean, I'm sure that there are things that cross over, but kind of very different than what you're doing now. I I I mean, storytelling nonetheless, but. Oh no, my my poor team has to deal with me being like, let's make a comic book. Let's do a children's book. And they're like, we're selling product for hair. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. We'll we'll get there one day. (laughs) I'm done. So what did you think that you wanted to be? Like you wanted to work in-house for uh, editorial or what, what was your plan? Yeah. I think I wanted to work in-house for editorial. You know, I think I gravitated towards art history because of that kind of connecting dots piece. You look Mm -hmm. at a painting, you look at a piece of art and you tell the story around it. And, you know, even in high school, I had a Tumblr where I would reblog style.com content. And I loved all of those writers and journalists who would report on the shows and I would just over all of that. So yeah, I think my dream was to work at like a style.com and report on all of this. And, you know, when I came to New York, I did a ton of internships and, you know, my last internship, which turned into a role was kind of like the, the inflection point of that whole world. Because the truth is, is, you know, I came to New York in 2009. And by the time that I graduated, uh, it was just the world had changed like pretty rapidly. I think like that period of time, what the internet had become was like an exponential change that like the, the role that I dreamt of at Condé was no longer so sexy, you know? Right. And, and that was still like eight years ago now, yeah. you know? Well, what so, was the role? Where were you exactly in Condé? So I actually never, I've never worked at Condé, which is oh. kind of like the funny joke. And I, I say that like, I've always just been born in the comment section. Like I've never sat in a boardroom of people being like, this is what people should be into. Like I've always just lived on like the product page reviews and I've always lived in like mm. moderating it. And my last internship uh, was with Into the Gloss in 2012. Oh, wow. Amazing. So I used to transcribe like every single interview and send it to Nick and would moderate the discuss comment section. Like Emily would have a folder that I would like upload to Pinterest, like to date me at that time. Like Pinterest was low key more important than Instagram. Um, Even though it was tell you that I've been having a lot of conversations with like SEO experts and like Pinterest is actually like in terms of where people should be paying attention to for growth to your website, like Pinterest is like where it's at right now. Oh, fire. We post a story on Pinterest every single day. There's a new feature for Crown Affair. I think that it's like the secret spot. It is. It is the secret sauce. Do you know who Jenna Kutcher is? Uh, yeah. Who is? Yeah. No, I don't. She like literally is just shouting Pinterest from the rooftops. Like I'm like, is Pinterest paying you? Because like all she focuses on is how to get organic growth through Pinterest. Pinterest. Yeah. So, okay. This is hilarious because I'm not an influencer at all, but we got early access to like the Pinterest stories, which is basically their version of Instagram stories. I think they launched in July or August, but we were like playing around with them in May and June. Mm -hmm. And I posted this like you know, story slide. Like I filmed it on Instagram and then reposted it. It got 6 million views in two days. What? Organically, organically. It was crazy. And then like- That's wild. Yeah. Most of our other stuff gets like 20,000 views, but to like have that kind of focus. And I think, 
you know, it's interesting because with Crown Affair, I like would a lot of the times articulate that we're kind of like the non-interest hair care brand. Like we don't use language like hair goals. We're not like a brand that's telling you like tutorials around how to style. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're so rooted in care and ritual that like, it's interesting to see kind of our storytelling do well there in a space that it's kind of was birthed out of not being that kind of energy. So I kind of want to get a a back-to-back situation of how you went from working in-house for all of these amazing brands to then consulting, to then starting Crown Affair. If you can kind of walk us through how all of those different points like got to the next one. Yeah. So while I was at Into the Gloss, I was invited to a party at Acme <laughs> from a former <laughs> boss. It was a small jewelry company called Giles and Brother. They mm-hmm. had like the railroad spikes. I don't know if you remember them, but mm-hmm. um, it was like a very fifth floor Bergdorf contemporary jewelry brand. Um, Super cool brother and sister duo. Their parents were actually my art teachers in high school. And that's how I met them. They were like, you should intern for our son and daughter. And um, I just kept in touch with them. Like we just continued, even though I interned at Valentino and Takoon and Into the Gloss, they were my first internship in high school and college. And they just always felt like a little bit of family to me in New York. And um, they invited me to this event for a launch that they did with a company called Styleman. It was like Jewelman and Beachman. It was like, remember when mm-hmm. Ashley Mary Kate had like that t-shirt yeah. thing? Oh, this is all like before the row. Um, and uh, Era Katz, who I think you've had on the pod before. Yes, I have. Um, is one of my dearest friends and mentors. She was the one of the founding partners at Jewelman and Styleman Beachman. And I met her at this party. Um, it was like a Kate Bosworth collaboration or something. And I went and like, it was so much fun. And Era and I connected and we just totally hit it off. And she was like this mythical Olsen like unicorn. I was just like, who are you? She's like, I live in Venice and I'm like very into well-being. And I'm like, I have only been on this like New York fast track, go, go, go fashion. And she was just so, she was the coolest. And we kept in touch and she was like, I'm going to hire you one day. And I was like, no, you're not. Go back to LA. See you never. And she actually ended up calling me and was like, I'm starting a mobile shopping app. Uh, at the time, it was called Jello Labs. It was kind of like the code name, and eventually it was called Spring. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, I met with her and her two co-founders, um, who were brothers at the time, and it was a couple engineers. And I was like the first non-engineer hire at Spring, and that was really the early days. It was definitely ahead of its time in terms of the consumer behavior around mobile shopping, um, which is so <laughs> it's everywhere today. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. ironically, a lot of that team actually has been at Instagram for a few years now working on the shop function and the UX and UI side of that. But you know, it was like the beginning of quote, direct to consumer. And, you know, Warby had been around for a few years, like Jeff and Andy had just launched Harry's and it was really picking up. And I think Ty like had just launched Outdoor Voices. There was like three kits and they came in like- What the, year was this? This was, was been, 20, like 2013 or something. So I, yeah, so it was 2013 when I joined. Okay. I think we, we launched it in 2014, um, wow. the app. So we like eight months of pre-launch and kind of onboarding 300 brands. We'd build out their shop backends. This is when people were using, you know, Shopify was not what it is today. It was yeah, still yeah. like Demandware and Magento and custom builds. And I remember like all of those kind of like rag and bone Andrew Rosen brands were all using like one stop. It was just like so messy, the entire yeah, backend yeah. of e-commerce. And so what was your role? So I was just under era on marketing. We were the two marketing people and we eventually brought out an email person and um, a couple other people who are now on her team at Seed, which is the best. And I yeah. love it. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it was just marketing partnerships. It was like a very catch-all, do literally anything, show up with Era at every meeting, be on every Honestly, email the best the best kind of boot camp to get you to eventually where you are today. So how long were you at Spring for? So I was there for a little over two years um, and eight months of it was pre-launch. And it was amazing. I think I was so in love. Like that early team was incredible and getting to work with all those brands. The reason I say this is because a lot of those brands became clients later when Mm -hmm. I did launch Levitate and um, being able to be kind of at those early stages with them, even though I wasn't working at those businesses, but a part of that journey, like a Buck Mason or like an Outdoor Voices or like a Harry's when they launched Flamingo. It's just, you kind of build this whole 
network of people who are, you know, early employees, not the founders. And those become your people as you Mm -hmm. grow together. Um, So yeah, no. And then I, you know, the truth is, is Spring got to a place, there were like thousands of brands, like retailers were on there. It was very much becoming this like much bigger eng piece Mm -hmm. than it was around just like the storytelling. And I think you know, when you raise $150 million, it just needs to become a very different type of business that no longer was like what I was excited about waking up every day. So it was really sad. I like gave my notice. I ended up staying for like five weeks instead of two weeks kind of thing. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and like, I still love that whole team, but um, I was really fortunately at that time introduced to Tamara Mellon when she was still in New York and she was kind of folding parts of the original namesake part of her business, obviously it's sold Jimmy Choo. Um, and she wanted to, she's going to move to LA. She had a huge office here at 660 Madison. Um, the most amazing office ever to the state that I've been in. I'm like, this was amazing. Um, and she wanted to relaunch tomorrow Mellon as a luxury direct to consumer brand. And I remember I went up to her townhouse on the Upper East Side and like met with her and it was just so cool. Like, I mean, being, she's a, Sheila. I mean, she's a legend, obviously. Yeah, having yeah. To me too. And, you know, trying to figure out how to translate her luxury aesthetic 70s Helmet Newton photos of a naked woman at a pool and heels to like a new customer on the internet. Like, how do you make that feel empowering if you don't, Mm -hmm. if you're the woman who's standing naked at the pool in heels, but you also own the house and the Ferrari up front, it's a little different to like the 30 year old (laughs) consumer who's like aspiring to spend $650 on a pair of shoes. And, um, it was, it was so cool. Um, that was mostly pre-launch too. It was a contractor role consulting, whatever you want to call it. I, did not have the language or structure that I did when I started Levitate. But that was really the first time that I was part of this like go-to-market SWAT team of Avengers to just like bring something to life and work on my I didn't know that you I didn't know that you consulted before doing the next two jobs. I had no idea. Yeah. I feel like I, that's interesting. I did not know that I was doing it either. I just <laughs> knew that I didn't want to be a full-time employee. I didn't want to move to LA. I I truthfully was kind of trying to figure out what it was next, but it just happened so organically. And, um, it was incredible to work with her and her and her family are like family. And it's been, it was really cool. Um, but it's funny. We launched that, I think October of 2016. I have to check. Yeah. Something like that. I came back to New York. It was November. Like I I think I was on for one more month on retainer. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to, take time off this November, December and like spend time with my family and like start a job in January. I like landed in New York that exact day. I got put on email with Jen and Steph from away. They had like just started shipping suitcases and I met with Steph uh, at their office on Green Street, the original office that had like 10 desks and thousands of suitcases, like fully stuffed. And, um, was hired in the meeting. They're like, do you want to come to this meeting with Tesla with us right now? Like just start on Monday. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. That's such a New York moment. Yeah. So I think like to to answer your question of like, I, whenever someone, I was like, Oh, I worked at this brand and this brand. I'm like, but when did you like, that's such a huge piece of it, I think. And I've just always been really, I love those early stages of like building the brand and away was cool. They actually were like live and fully fleshed out before I joined, like they were shipping suitcases. I mean, it was like month five or something. So it was still really very early, very early, but it was nice to kind of jump into something that had like a very clear vision had already like known itself a little bit in some way, um, and had some data and understood who their customer was. And, I joined in a very general marketing role as well. I've just always kind of been a generalist, but always brand marketing, organic. Like I'm not a person who sits on Facebook and like casino games. <laughs> like I, yeah. I've just always been an organic brand marketer. And um, yeah, it was crazy. I was there for a year. Um, it was it was a lot in terms of like work and culture. Mm-hmm. Um, as but we it, all know now. <laughs> yeah, as, as much as in revealed. It's funny because I, I, it was three years ago for me. So I feel so removed from it at this point. And yeah. when, when kind of that conversation was happening again, I was just like, well, you know, it is what it is. But yeah. I also really get it. I think I, I have really positive memories of it too. And I met so many amazing people. I mean, my creative director, my head of PR, the woman who launched social for us, like those are all the way teammates, you know, like 
those are my people. I think when you're in the trenches with people building things, it's just like you have another kind of level of connection with them. Yeah. And there's, it's really great too, if you're building a business right now, like to not have any learning curve and just be able to like hit the ground running with people yeah. and speak the same language. But I'm I actually so always think that like whoever you're working alongside, like whoever's on your team, like that's going to be the person that either eventually hires you down the road or you're hiring them or you're building something together. It always comes full circle. And like, it's just, I feel like you're always in interview mode with the people that you are working alongside. Oh, you know? for sure. I mean, the whole point of this is to like have fun while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no matter what happens, like spring quotes, like no, spring doesn't exist anymore. You right. know what I mean? And right. everyone moves on to do incredible things. And I think it isn't, it sounds so corny and obviously everybody wants a big win, but you know, consumer is really hard, you know, it's not easy. And I think one of the challenges of a way was that they did raise a lot of money and it was very much kind of like D to C 2.0. I always joke that we're in kind of consumer 3.0 now. So like the Warby's launched and, you know, Jen and staff met at Warby and then away is launched. And then like now us, we're kind of starting our, we, I met these people at away and we're starting our own projects. And, you know, I think there's just learnings along the way on one hand, it was one of the, it was my favorite job I've ever had. Like I truly loved I loved the role. I was head of partnerships. We did nine product collaborations, touched everything from like low touch sweepstakes stuff and giveaways all the way to like product collaborations with Carly Claus and NBA and Star Wars. And so many of those relationships are like, have been so rewarding over the past few years. And, you know, working with those people again today, you know, especially at a time like this when we're all at home and you can't meet so many people in a fluent mm-hmm. way. Like, the fact that I can like reach out to Madewell or Violet Gray or Jenny Kane, like, you know, even in a really low touch way, I remember we did like a gift of purchase with Violet Gray, like four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, so like, valuable. Totally. And those people move on and go somewhere else. But the fact that you just kind of like have a rhythm with a lot of these people, mm-hmm. even if it's not the same team, it's just, yeah. it's huge. And like the Madewell team is a great example. I mean, it's all those girls have been there for like seven years, you know, yeah. and we did a huge product collaboration and a photo shoot in Mexico and like, you know, that's why I love that job. Um, there were a lot of challenges. I think when, you know, I, I joke, we're, we're a four person team, full-time team at Crown Affair and have four. What? Yeah. We're, we're, we have like three to four contractors depending on the month, but like it's, it's basically seven of us. Um, wow. I'm very impressed. And, uh, thank I'm you. Very it's, impressed. Well, and it's funny coming from a culture of like every week at away, there was like five new employees. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, grow, yeah. grow, grow. And you know, I think it's really hard at that time acquiring customers from a paid perspective was a lot more affordable. Right. Um, it's obviously there wasn't as much noise, as much competition. Totally. Yeah. And they were brilliant. Like the product market fit in terms of the product offering and the price point in a category that had not been innovated on was like a truly groundbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't just like another CPG yeah. in the aisle at Target. It was like a product that people didn't even know they needed a suitcase. You know what I mean? Like it totally changed that category. And I think that's what I've always been drawn to as I went on to doing client work after away. So, um, so Levitate came after right, right after away. Yeah. So there, there was just a lot of opportunities and the truth was, is I, I stayed at away for a year. It was amazing. It all ended on a very kind of crescendo of, we did this takeover. We took over an entire hotel in Paris in the eighth era Dismont. It was like 30 rooms. We called, we rebranded the whole, whole hotel. It was called like Shea Away. It was like the biggest marketing budget I've ever had. We had like every influencer stay there with like over 2 million followers and like I got time to perform. Like Emily Ratajkowski was at the dinner. Like it was just like we had someone, we had an artist wow. tattooing people at the dinner and it was like Justin O'Shea and like, it was like crazy. And I was like, this is a party. I like, this is crazy right now. Um, but it was eight days of like 8am at the hotel to like 3am. Like not, it was just like, I Non-stop. was stop. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. lot. And it was actually my sister's wedding in LA, like the following weekend. And it was just like being with my family and parents. I was like, I need, and this has been amazing. And I'm so proud of this, but like, I got to readjust. And, um, I just couldn't do it anymore. Like it was a lot. And, um, this is the part though, that like this right now, cause like this is right before you're going to work for yourself. Like how long were you actually feeling that for? Because I feel like 
for the person that is listening that may be in that role right now or has been thinking about it for a long time, was there like, yeah. was it this event that was the straw that broke the camel's back or how long were you thinking about it? How long were you like formulating what Levitate would look like before actually taking the leap? So it's funny, the name Levitate, I like kind of knew it, it was almost, it was, I remember it started away November. I have an old note in my phone from March after watching the Defiant Ones on HBO, which I don't know if you've seen it. It's no. a docu. Oh, it's so good. I actually want to rewatch it because I haven't watched it since like three, okay. over three years oh, ago. I have but to watch it. It's a it's a four part documentary on HBO about the partnership between Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine, mm. and it like goes through their own backstories and then how they kind of partner and created Beats and like a billion dollar empire together. But there's a scene that Eminem. They're like interviewing him and he, he asked them, they're like, can you describe the relationship between Jimmy and Dr. Dre? And Eminem goes, Dre is the innovator and Jimmy's the levitator. And (laughs) (laughs) no, and I realized that like, that has been what lights me up. Like I love sitting with innovators and being like, yo, how do we make this a thing? Like, how do we make you the thought leader? Like, how do we take this to the next level? And, you know, it's been really interesting with Crown Affair kind of putting myself in the founder position. But like, the truth is, is like, I sit on the floor with my team. You know what I mean? Like, I I am like, it's so, that is what brings me joy is like, if someone has an idea and I think, so I always knew that that's what I love doing. And around that time, I was very fortunate to see a leadership coach during this time who I think really got me through. And by the time I was ready to leave, she had helped. You started me. seeing the coach while you were still at away. Yes, I saw. Yeah. I started seeing her when I was at away. And, and it was uh, the impetus to see her that you were ready to make a new move. You know, that was my third job, kind of at this yeah. point. And I just, I was, I think about twenty five or twenty six, about twenty five or twenty six, and I was just like, "What do I want?" Like it was just yeah. kind of that point where I, I didn't really know what I wanted long term or what this could be, and I had been in such fast paced environments, yeah. so. Um, my now business partner's wife, um, was actually the one who recommended her to me. Her name is Christine Sachs. Um, and she, this, my, yeah, one of my best friends works, worked with her when she was at major league soccer, kind of bringing her to the next level from like a VP to a C-level executive. And uh, this woman, I was like, you are such a badass to me and do not need coaching. And she said that this woman changed her life. And it was through the work with Christine and I still see Christine less frequently now, but, um, for like longer blocks, but she made me realize that like the two pillars in my life that I needed was one was like flexibility. <laughs> like I needed, I love working from home. I like being able to go to a breakfast with somebody. I wanted to be able to go to Florida and see my family. And like, that doesn't mean that I'm doing less work, you know, by not physically being in the office. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's such a, a shift that has to happen. I mean, I think it is happening and it's, we're being forced for it to happen now, but that is such a shift that like you were clearly ahead of, ahead of what was going to be, be hitting us in 2020, but it's just so true. Like it's, just because you're physically somewhere, like I'm so less productive when I'm physically going to the same place. Totally. You know? And there's magic of being in person. I think that there's like a passive mm-hmm. kind of brainstorming that happens, but the truth is, is there's also like a lot of passive socializing and I just so much I'm so much more effective and efficient when I can kind of have my space. So that was, that was a big one for me was like, I want to work with people and be able to like go to their office when I want to or need to, but also kind of like live my life and go to to Japan. And like, I'm still going to get the work done. You know, I think that's such a huge piece. And then the other one was choosing who I worked with coming from cultures where you're like one of the first few employees. And then a year later you look up and there's 150 people. You're just like, whoa, that happened fast and that was crazy. And, you know, when you get to a point where you're raising over a hundred million dollars too, I think there's a lot of pressure to do certain things and what maybe we launched these brands, the ethos that we launched these brands into the world with, this starts to change. So, um, those were kind of my two things. I was like, I want to choose who I work with and I want to be able to make my schedule. And if mm-hmm. I want to go to a Pilates class at two in the afternoon, cause that's when I have a personal lull in the day, you know, then like, yeah. so be it. So, um, yeah, I, I went to LA for my sister's wedding and I, you know, rolled off of away and transitioned everything and was really lucky. Um, you probably know her, Biz Lindsay, who was at Daris and then, uh, I don't she know was her. A, oh, she's a 
We launched Spring together um, when she was at Daris, and then she was the VP of comms for Outdoor Voices in like mm. those really key growth years. Um, she called me and was like, "We're trying to figure out like what influencer community affiliate like." What does an ambassador program look like? Like we kind of so did have- this. So did this like first op come after you had already rolled out of a way, or were you like thinking of starting to consult while you were still there? No. So I was thinking about it, but I truthfully did not have a master plan. Like okay. I was just like I again. I felt like I was in the same place a year later, like the year before I left tomorrow. You know, I was rolling up tomorrow, yeah. and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was going to take November, December off, and then um, yeah, she reached out and. I was like, this is so fun. I can build for you what we built at Away. I mean, part of my role, fortunately, we ended up hiring amazing people at Away to draw an affiliate and an influencer and Mm -hmm. all of that. But early days, I was definitely answering emails at two in the morning, responding to inbounds for like people who wanted a bag and how to evaluate that. So I was like, oh, let's do a three-month project. Outdoor Voices, this is great. Your team's awesome. Like I can put these structures together. Here's the spreadsheets. I use this tool. Like, And three months became two years. Um, wow. As a client and was able to hire people. And that part of the business became like one of the bigger revenue drivers. And Influ- it's influencer marketing. Influencer marketing and their ambassador program. Wow. So this one thing happened as a consulting thing. At what point, like from just like consulting for a one brand, did you think I'm going to establish a name for this company and like, I'm going to attract new clients and build an actual business for it? Because those are two different things. hundred percent. And I actually love talking about this in the context of like, how do you set up an LLC? Like mm-hmm. I literally went on LegalZoom and Same. I, yeah, but on LegalZoom, set it up. I like looked into trademarking. I got my Instagram handle, my website, um, actually my coach introduced me to an awesome accountant and just really helped me understand like if I have this many retainers and what I need to allocate for taxes and, you know, super simple structures to set up a system that's like, I'm no longer a full-time employee. Like mm-hmm. how do I create this world? And then the truth is, is, is a lot of those relationships from spring, Buck Mason, um, Harry's like, they, these things just kind of reached out. They're like, Oh, you did this launch or, Oh, you did this thing. Can you come help us like launch this women's razor line? And I put together a scope of work. And even with the wing, they launched um, apparel, like in a much bigger way than just like the key change than a couple mm-hmm. of the things they had. We're like, how do we actually make this like a revenue driver for you guys? and like a part of your business for people who... So how did you figure out what your, what your key services were? And then how did you figure out what to charge? Yeah. So key services were really just like a bandwidth thing. So, um, there's a lot of different things you want to touch, but I think one of the hardest things about being a consultant is like, you want to do it all and you want to feel like a team member, but you kind of have to keep really clear scopes. Um, Mm -hmm. you can't do it all, especially if you have a lot of clients. So it really landed often on like brand work and brand messaging, um, or figuring out what community looked like for that brand. Sometimes that meant like explicit influencers. Sometimes that actually meant like things that were not external facing at all and more like bringing people together to have focus groups and just understand like these really key consumer insights around what makes the brand unique. Yeah. Um, But even with some of these things like Flamingo, I did an event with them. We did like a huge launch event and like planned into a lot of things for launching in Target. So it kind of ran the gamut. I think for me in terms of charging... Um, you know, I did a combination for a lot of my clients of both equity and cash. Um, so coming in with a certain price point being like, this is my rate. Um, let me know if you're in, I think going in and really sticking your ground of being like, this is what I need to survive. And this is how much I think early days, it's really easy to be like, Oh, a couple of grand's fine. But you're like, wait, actually I need at least this to really make mm-hmm. it worth it. And also at some point say no to other clients too, you know, right. like you have to say no. So it's just, it's all about return on time. I think like picking the right Where, Did you start like when, when you began, were you going into the conversation saying, this is my rate plus I need equity? Yeah, exactly. And then you just kind of negotiate from there. Um, you know, I think depending on how long the contract is, what stage of the business is, like I definitely wouldn't recommend that for everyone. And I also wouldn't recommend it for every business, Mm -hmm. um, depending on where they are in the life cycle. You know, I was coming from a place where I always worked at places where I had equity. I think if I did it again now, I probably would just do um, the retainer straight up. 
because like, you know, some of the stuff hits and some of it doesn't, we're definitely in a different season of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I, it was, I was learning as I went. It was, I didn't have a website until eight months in. Like wow. I, I also was like, I know this sounds really crazy, but like, I didn't do any, I was just like doing the work. Like I didn't really keep up on Instagram. I didn't have any press. Like it was just about the work. I didn't have to market the agency at all. And you know, those were the most successful years of my life to date in terms of like yeah. financial and total freedom. I remember I went, I think I did like six international trips that year. Like it was just, it was exactly what I needed for those two years. So how did you build a team? Like, was it just you for the two years? Like how, how does it, how did that work? Just me. No, the, wow. the way that the way that I would structure it is that when I took on a client, part of the contract was that they would allow me to bring somebody on. Because for me, I actually want to provide useful tools and resources that they continue to grow and iterate on versus being this like, I think what's been so broken about agencies is like, it feels like this secret thing. Like you have the relationships and you have the contacts and I'm not teaching you anything. And for me, it was like, oh, sick. If I can teach you this in six months and you can give me a full-time hire, that's like probably more affordable than me. We'll stay with the business for at least two years. Like, let me train them and teach them everything. And it makes my job. Like acting like an interim CMO and then exiting. But exactly. still having equity, so you have like the longevity with them. So yes. smart, yeah. So it was, smart. it was, it was definitely, and I, I was really grateful. I mean, I had a lot of mentors who kind of taught me that this was a good way to approach it. And I knew, I think, to answer your question, like I never wanted to make an agency, and I always knew that. And I think like there were a couple points where it was like I should hire someone, <laughs> like I should bring somebody on and help me. But I was like, I don't really want to create this structure. Like this isn't. Okay, I I yeah. love this conversation. So yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> you're kind of like going with the flow. Like you keep getting clients, you're getting retainers, you're growing, you're financially yeah. successful. You're you're checking a lot of boxes that you and your um, coach are are figuring out that that's what you want. You want the international travel. You want the freedom. You want also the financial success. So you're you're there on all those points. Yeah. How how did you like reconcile the fact that you're hitting all those points, but having an agency is not what you actually wanted? And at what point did you realize that you wanted to have a physical product? And how long did you cross over with having that idea and then actually launching a physical product? Yeah. So sorry, there's like I, 20 questions in no, that. No, <laughs> I, I love it. They all kind of flow into each other. So it's perfect. I I knew that I didn't want to keep doing this for other people. I kind of realized along the way that there is like a certain magic to launching something and building like a cult community around something. And the truth is, is like there are only so many outdoor voices and so many carries and so many, you know, wings. Like these companies don't exist uh, indefinitely. And Mm -hmm. I was starting to get inbounds from brands where it's like, is this the magic that I want to bring to this? And uh, I probably could do it on my own. And at that time, I was actually thinking a lot about hair in the context of body hair and like how that was a huge part of self-identity. But ultimately before this, when I was traveling to Austin all the time, the girls on the team would be like, tell me about your hair. Like, what is this air dry situation? Because like, we'd go do an activity or run. It was a very like active kind of culture. This is without their voices. Yeah. yeah. And, and I put it in a Google doc. Like one of the girls was like, can you just like share this with me? And I met with my friend Lexi like a couple of months before and she was, her mom's a dermatologist. And we like had a great conversation about my hair care ritual and like how I'm really passionate about hair care. And I sent her an email with like the 12 steps that I do. And, you know, I would have girlfriends texting me all the time. Like, over the last like three years, I weirdly just became the person that like when people had a question about like hair or ingredients or like they're trying to switch off Orbay because it has sulfates or like, you know, they are growing out their natural hair for the first time. Like I just weirdly became that person. I don't really know how it happened. Or like it's Because you have incredible hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, and, and I love it. Like it's this weird kind of fiber that comes out of our heads and it's such a huge part of our identities. And you know, a bunch of my girlfriends were having babies and going through postpartum hair loss. And don't get me wrong, I really like skincare. I'm pretty simple with my skincare. Mm-hmm. My makeup is very no makeup makeup as well. And that's how I've always approached hair care. And I think the reality is like this category, as we were talking about earlier in the context of Pinterest, has been very style, cut, color, how to get this look, how to achieve this thing. And like I mean, this is what Emily was doing for makeup when Into the Gloss started. You know, it was like you could 
open up a people style watch and see how to get Reese Witherspoon's red carpet look. And like her makeup artist breaks down like the six Mm -hmm. things, you know, now you can go on Instagram and Reese Witherspoon's like making you a smoothie in real time. But like at that time it was like, Oh, let me actually just talk to this person and understand like, Oh, this is the rose water she uses that like her grandma's been using forever. And like, she learned this weird like Q-tip trick with her thing. And, you know, and like she uses this, whatever it is. And I just didn't see that anywhere with hair care. And, you know, there are great YouTube videos that are like 45 minutes long with like hair hacks and whatnot, but there was just no conversation or community. So like very slowly and surely started to just build this universe around conversations with hair. And it, it was happening all through Levitate, but there wasn't anything really concrete. And then what ended up happening is, I guess it was almost two years ago now, which is crazy. Um, that the Google doc that I sent, I was at brunch with my fiance and his childhood best friend and his wife. Um, and I was like giving people access to this Google doc on my phone. And they were like, get off your phone, Diana, like take a breath, like whatever. And I was like, no, this is crazy. And he was like, wait, they were like, can you send it to us? We have no idea what to do with our hair, like blah, blah, blah. So I sent it. He happens to be a bioengineer and chemist and worked at McKinsey in supply chain for many years. So knows vendors. Yeah. Like super duper smart. He got his undergrad through PhD at Cornell in like six and a half years. And he called me back three days later and was like, so I have like eight different labs and six different vendors. And I found this place in Switzerland that like makes these amazing combs that would like plant-based acetate. And like, it's crazy, but like all of these top selling oils from Moroccan oil, what, like everything uses cyclopentasiloxane and like, you shouldn't really use silic- cyclic silicones on your hair. And I'm like, you're speaking another language, but like, let's get into it. And that's how it started. And it started uh, partially with the hairbrush because I would recommend the Mason Pearson brush and people mm-hmm. would be like, girl, $250 for your hairbrush. Like, are you nuts? <laughs> like, and we found, we like went to a handful of different vendors through Europe to like basically reverse engineer that brush from like the kind of density and mm-hmm. like distribution of the mnemonic pad to the boron nylon bristles and how it was held. And we just like really started going at it. And I truly thought I was going to bootstrap and launch this thing. And then I, I, that this all hit the point to answer the 20 wonderful questions, <laughs> which is like, you know, Flamingo had launched, it was in Target, Outdoor Voices I was coming up on two years with. I'd worked with a baby food company called Yumi, was working with Buck Mason. And I love all of those brands and all of those people. And I had a couple scopes of workout to brands that were like a little less exciting, wasn't as connected to. Mm-hmm. And I had sample product. We had our first hairbrushes. We had a couple first versions of the oil. I put like a couple, I basically spent like 50K, like had put aside from of your own money. to yeah. like of my own money to be like, can I make this a thing? Mm-hmm. And uh, I met with my now creative director, who was our creative director at Away, name oh, show, wow. um, and told him about this idea I had for Crown Affair. And I didn't have any money to like bring on anybody at that time, but because of our relationship and he was really excited about redefining this category around ritual and around care. And we just very, he's born and raised in Japan. He has the most beautiful daily rituals as an artist and as a creator. And we were just, he totally got it. And he started working with me for like two months without, he's like, I know you're good for it. Like you'll figure it out. And that was amazing. And taking that leap of faith to kind of have this early product, create the visual brand literacy. I was like, I'm not taking clients and I'm going to fundraise and like launch this business. So, so that was, that's, yeah. that's a very like specific, scary step to take. Like, <laughs> did like, how did you kind of like line it up so that all of your contracts ended at the same time? And then how much time were you giving yourself to figure it out before launching? Oh, they definitely did it. They all ended come like May, June of okay. that year. Um, I had some that were like rolling off and just kind of loose. And then I planned a trip to Japan and was like, this is going to be the trip where I like really understand different ingredients. Mm -hmm. Also just like eat all of the food, have the best time. And after coming back from Japan, I was like, this is, I got to go. Like I either have to hit the ground running. And then I really gave myself a couple of months to be like, what do I need to get in place? And if this doesn't work by a certain period, then like I will 
move on. I think mm-hmm. I always knew, I think I felt very fortunate and grateful that like, I knew that I could always go back to consulting. That's, that so, I knew important. I could That's so important to talk about because I feel like that is what stops people from taking that leap, you know? And also like the identity part of it. Like if you had launched Levitate already, like, was there any like identity part of you that was a little scared of completely removing yourself from it? Did you have like a formal fold conversation with people? Like how... I don't know. I just, I feel like that identity part from either being in-house to then starting something to then ending that one thing to then starting something else. Like, can you talk to me a a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the two best pieces of advice I've ever gotten, one is from Era. Like at every single point that we've talked about, she was always like, if it doesn't work, just leave. Like, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. Like no one cares as much as you do. If you join away and you're there for two months, like go to the next thing, you know, and you just like figure out how to make it a part of your journey. So I think knowing that it could always fit into the journey in some way, even if it wasn't picture perfect, like was okay, mm-hmm. you know? And I was pretty quiet about Crown Affair too until like a like a, like December before we launched in January. Like yeah. I'd obviously had a lot of conversations, but I hadn't really shared much on social. Um, and it wasn't like a big announcement of ending Levitate. Like there was still like, there was kind of a period too. I mean, I, I did not have a salary for quite some time. Like I did have to save up money. Um, that was a huge piece of this. Like at the end of the day, how long did you save for? Probably like four months uh-huh. of like rent and just general expenses. And um, you know, I think that's like a very real thing. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I either, I either can like afford to keep living my life or I need to figure something out. Mm-hmm. So that was a that was a real thing. And you know, the other best advice I ever got, and I really keep this to heart. And I think it's fortunately been great to kind of keep this during this year when it's just like everything every Mm day. Um, you just can't be nostalgic. Like you just have to keep going. Like nostalgia is what will kill you. Um, if you long for a time or a period that was, and like the running joke at every place. Yeah. The running joke at every place I ever worked at is like, I only, I just like walk in with a laptop every day. Like I've never like set up my desk. I've never like, I just am constantly going and it's, things are going to, I mean, this is a crazy year. And I think that if you aren't able to be nimble and kind of long for this thing, that's not to say it's easy or it's not hard and like hard decisions can't be made, but um, yeah, you, they're just like, you just got to keep going. Yeah. A body in motion stays in motion. Exactly. All right. So talk to me about those first steps. You went to Japan and you started to kind of like figure out just ingredients and learn more about the space. What were the first steps after getting your LLC that you, yeah. Like what were the first steps that you made to launch Crown Affair? I should have never come back from Japan. It's the most magical place ever. It's I've never been. Place. I've never uh, been. It's where I want to, I can't wait to go back. I mean, the first steps were, we had some product. We were doing testing with friends and family. I sent out about 40 brushes at that point, had gifted the oil to people. By the way, the brushes and oil are totally different, which is why it's important to get feedback and yeah. you know take surveys and do focus groups. And the first steps were then, I'm going to do this. I can't afford to do it. I should go fundraise. So I started fundraising August of last year, July okay. of last year. Um, so almost a year ago, honestly, I guess we're now in September, but it was like a year ago that I was like, I'm going to go fundraise. Um, I got really lucky with investors who totally got the vision early on. How did you know how much to raise? Uh, you know, I coming from where it was, it was like, you don't want to raise too much. It kind of puts you in a tough position. You need to raise enough to launch a thing. The biggest, the, the most cash intensive thing is just the, the inventory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's fortunately really simple compared to like building software and having like engineers mm-hmm. on staff. It's like, I need $300,000 to buy, you know, these five SKUs in this much inventory or whatever it is. And I need this much money to make a website. It's much more affordable to make a website than it was, you know, in the yeah. beginning of D to C. And, um, you know, I need this much money to figure out like warehousing and shipping and this much money for collateral and marketing. And, you know, they were all bar- ballpark numbers. I need, you know, 30K to shoot a launch campaign and 60K mm-hmm. to this. And, and that was kind of it. And, um, I knew that I needed to make a few hires. The first one being a project manager ops mm-hmm. person who has all of the skills all that the I do not, <laughs> all, of, all of the skills and hats that I cannot and do not wear well. Um, I can try them to wear them, but I don't look great in them. Um, so that was 
that was kind of it. And then also the brand work with show, like he put together a proposal and I was like, this is what it's going to be. And, um, you know, fortunately this was, I think the fourth company I'd launched. So I had a little bit of muscle memory, whether it was with spring or tomorrow melon or flamingo, like you kind of know for those projects. No, I did not. It okay. was, and, and I always say the founder journey is really funny. I, I use the analogy of it's like thinking that you speak a language, but once you actually try to speak the language, you do not speak it. You're like, oh yeah, I can oh totally God. get by. Like, Wait, do you feel like the, <laughs> the language and, and just the, the tasks are very different starting Crown Affair than, ta- than starting Levitate? Yeah, it's so different. You can feel because well, at Levitate, I was still building other people's businesses, which yeah. I love, and it's yeah. still one of my favorite. But, things but it's to still do. a business. But still, even so, it's still a business. So I'm just curious to know if, like, you learn so much more, and it's a completely different role and mindset than starting an agency. Absolutely, I think they have very different. The right, like, continually being able to get clients, understand mm-hmm. how to say no, negotiate what you're doing. Like, those are things that you're really fighting for yourself, and those are skills that, like. I just never used before. Like when you're a full-time employee, you're not like actively yeah, yeah, yeah. doing that. Yeah. Um, and I'm not doing that with Crown Affair now. You know, like I'm not trying to get clients or negotiate for things in that way. But um, no, I mean, there's just the the nuances of building a team. You know, this is all new, especially building a team entirely remote in terms of, you know, figuring out warehousing, shipping, customer service. Like I was really lucky to be very adjacent to these things. Yeah. Um, like best in class customer service at businesses I've worked at. And, but when it's like on you, it's a really different feeling. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, sitting next to era, was like one of the greatest experiences of my life. But like, I don't know what the founder journey was, you know, even though right. I was so in it or was able to sit with tomorrow. I think at the end of the day, when it's your baby on it, your name on it and your baby, like it's a different yeah, it's just different. I mean, it's beautiful. I think it, it makes a lot more sense. And I think that point at, for Levitate being like, I actually want to do this on my own. Like I'm yeah. ready for this now, you know, and I love it. And I feel so grateful that I like get to do this every day. And I, I'm really hopeful. And I feel like the way that we're building our team and our culture and the quality of product that we're putting into the world, like, I'm like, I know where we can go with this over the next 10 years, you know? And it's so incredible. Yeah. That's so incredible to feel that. So what is your deeper active ingredient with Crown Affair? It's the, it's the kind of pivotal question of the of the podcast. And I'm just curious out of all of the different things and it seems like you're hitting so many different categories with your list that you did with your coach. And like, what what would you say is kind of like the driving force, the active ingredient of what you're doing every day? This is a great question. Um, so I would say... It's funny. I was just saying to someone the other day, I'm like, the playbook has been thrown out. Like all of the things that we knew about how to build brands and whatever, it's like, just, it's gone. Like the world's changed. We're living in a new world. The thing that I still think rings true for building anything, but particularly with consumer brands and crown affairs, is like creating something that changes the way people see themselves. Like that to me is why I do what I do. And I am totally not the inventor of these missions. I have been, you know, with Crown Affair I am, but like to see outdoor voices, like educate people that like not human, not superhuman, like move for your mind, not your butt, like this Mm -hmm. kind of taking away from so many other companies that have been telling us harder, better, faster, stronger competition, excellence, perfection. Like there is, it's just okay to be this thing I think is so incredible. And I mean, I, I, that to me is everything. It's like, how do we just change the way people move through the world? And that, that to me, waking up every morning and figuring that out is like why I do what I do. And whether that's with Seedling, our mentorship program, like even this thing I'm doing with the artist way, like I do journal every day. Like it, this is a part of my well being, And I think every single brand and company today needs to offer something that changes the way that people feel about themselves and do it authentically. I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing. Like the days of being like, there's a white space. This is a cool market. It's like, if you're going to, I don't know, that to me is just like, what gets me up? I'm like, how can we get more? I never want another young girl to realize she doesn't have curly hair or feel like she has to put relaxer in her hair or not feel like herself. You know, that's, I love that's, that. that's everything. I love that. 
So this podcast is to go through the founder's journey or the person that I have on's journey and how they got there. But it's also for the person that might be in a seat that they're just not happy, fulfilled in, and they see people working in what they love and they want that for themselves, but don't know what to ask themselves or feel just so stuck and like in a plateau that they don't know what that next step is. Like you, you talked about your coach. Like, is that something that you would recommend for someone that is in that position? Do you have any advice that you want to share with someone that might be listening that is in that exact position right now? Yeah. Yeah. So I think a coach or some kind of coaching support, whether it's in group format online, Mm -hmm. I was lucky to meet with Christine in real life was game changing. You know, I've done therapy in the past, but that is not what I needed. Like I needed somebody who was like, here are the structures, here's the programming, let's hit your goals. Like there's a little therapy aspect to it, but it is a very different thing. So I would seek that out. There's a lot of young coaches too, who are looking to work with new clients. Like it does take a little, I think, to find the right person and a recommendation is a great way to go. But I think having somebody who's like not a family member, not a partner, not a significant other, not a friend, like kind of call you out on your bullshit <laughs> and like yeah. habits is, is game changing. Cause that's really what she did for me. It's like, she's like, these narratives are no longer serving you. So like, just let's keep going. Like, how do we structure that? Um, and then, I mean, I think slowing down, I think something for me too, it's really easy to consume and be on Instagram and see these things, but like doing something like the artist way, like you can order it online or pick it up at your local bookstore and committing to yourself for a 12 week program to kind of like rethink what it is that brings you joy. Like I was saying this, we have two, we just hired someone last week who just graduated. Um, and we have another team member who just graduated as well. And, you know, I talked to them, I'm like, what's it like for your friends? Like, what does this new world look like? And you know, when, when we graduated, it was just like, go, 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 just Mm -hmm. keep going. Like, this is what you need to do. And first challenging it is as as it is right now. And I don't want to belittle that in any way. It's also a moment to be like, all of the structures don't really matter anymore. So do I want to work in a pottery studio in Vermont and ride a bike and like help people then like do that. You don't need to work at a big publication. And I think now more than ever, it's like, do what you want to do for you. Um, And another exercise I did last night that I really love that I recommend, and I'm going to do it every year is I broke up my life into five-year increments. So zero to five, five to 10, 10 to 15, and so on, all the way through 105. Who knows if I'll live longer than that or to that. Ambitious. And and, and paired it. it, I know, very ambitious. And paired it with the years to just get perspective and be like, damn, I'm going to be... When I'm 50, it'll be like 2046, you know? And I think realizing that like all of the things that you want to do, um, whether it's launch a business or learn to play piano or draw, like there is so just give yourself time to be a beginner in something. And that is how you will start something. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and just have a thing, like give yourself time to be a beginner and just like start small. Um, the last piece of advice, I'm giving you like four pieces of advice. Keep it coming. I'm, I'm literally soaking it all in. Keep it coming. I think I get asked a lot about like, do I fundraise if I have a thing? I think everyone's on their own journey. For me at the time, it made sense coming from a lot of venture-backed consumer businesses. It was very available and people were excited about the vision. But I think there's a lot of ways to test an idea that you have without even having a product or without even having anything right now. Like start to tell this journey and story and narrative and understand what it is that you need. Do you want to launch something on Instagram? Do you want to create a cool landing page? Do you want to get feedback? Like if you have an idea, I think figuring out what an MVP, a minimum viable product for that is, and just being like, let me see if this works. Like that is how we started with the brush. Like if we made a shitty brush, I would not have launched this. You know what I mean? So I think, and like I knew my threshold. I was like, cool, I'm going to spend this much money to see if it's a thing. And if it's not a thing, I will go get a job somewhere. So, But how I did think, you track the success? Like when you spent that money, like what was the benchmark that you were looking for? Was it like a percent return or what, what, how are you tracking success? To me, it was just seeing that when people started using the product, they saw a change in their hair and they really started to take better care of themselves. So we did have like follow-up emails mm-hmm. and follow-up conversations with the 40 people that we sent the product to, to be like... Mm-hmm. Did you like this? Would you yeah. buy it? What price point would you buy it for? Have you seen it change in your hair texture? 
are there other behaviors you've changed because of this? And it was just so clear that this sparked something for people. So I think that like that is really powerful. And then you're like, cool, I have these data points. I have this information, like, let me go. There's small ways to start things. Amazing answer. I love it. So I always close out the podcast asking what is your literal active ingredient, something that you have to do, eat, consume, anything that you have to do every single day. Um, Yeah. What is it? A thousand percent foam rolling and stretching. Really? Every day? Every single day. I'm truly not a human being unless I foam roll and stretch. I don't know how to foam roll. No one one does. You just like, (laughs) you just go with the flow literally and just feel your body. No, I, um, 10 minutes, seven minutes. I'll even just do two songs. Like that's the least I'll do. Mm -hmm. If I'm in my dream weekend world, I'm foam rolling and stretching for like an hour and a half and just listening to a podcast. It's, there's something about the way as someone who I don't work out a ton, I probably should, but it's fine. It's just not my C's. And, uh, I need to feel connected and move my body. And there's something about just like foam rolling and stretching. It's yeah. It just makes me feel like me. And actually it was my coach, Christine, who made me realize that about two years ago, we were in a session and she was like, what do you need to do right now to feel you? And I was like, honestly, I need to get out of this chair to stretch. And she was like, that's, that's it. And I was like, I feel so much better. And it just kind of lets you. It's so funny that like a lot of those breakthroughs are like such obvious small things that completely change everything about your demeanor, you know? Change change everything and support that thing. I mean, foam rollers are fortunately a very affordable thing mm-hmm. to like, I have them in every home, every place I go. A tennis ball could be a foam a roller. A tennis ball. Yeah. Oh, and I have been, people, TSA lines and security, they've opened up. They're like, what is this? I'm like, it's a foam roller with like bumps in it. I'm like, please stop. So I just, I need it. It's my thing. I love it. Where can everyone find you? Where can everyone find Crown Affair? So crownaffair.com on the interwebs and Crown Affair on Instagram. And then my personal Instagram is Diana with two ends, Cohen. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on. I kind of want to have you on a second one because I feel like we can go into so much detail with going from agency to, to product. So Yes, let's do it. Season, season <laughs> two. Let's do another one. I love it. I love it. Thank you guys so much for listening. It would mean the world to us if you could rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.